Hey, welcome back Greetings. to Nota Bene. Nate Freeman, what's up, my guy? Not too much. Sitting here in uh, the East Village, uh, recovering from a night at Dr. Clark last night, which is quite enjoyable. Did you do um, any karaoke just, at Dr. Clark, perhaps? I might was, have seen a, some, a video. There was some karaoke. Uh, there was some mezcal involved. There was a lot of lamb involved. It was a typical Clark's night, you know. Uh, some VIPs rolled through, which was fun. Anyone Got you can name, or yeah, I was linking a building with uh, Ella Yellish O'Connor, aka Lord, was in the building. Whoa, that was exciting. Did she yeah. sing any karaoke? No, no, she left before karaoke started, which would have been amazing, but that would uh, be cool. No, yeah, Lord with a bunch of her like normie friends, which was fun. Like, How was she I mean, looking? Like, what was she, she wearing? Was great. Uh, I don't know, it was like a t shirt, but like. No, she like really she kicks it with like her non-famous friend. They keep her grounded or whatever, which I is find she, just, just is she interested in acquiring any contemporary art, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be out there doing the work for me, buddy. You can't be just out there <laughs> drunk and singing karaoke. Like let's let's stack some fucking let's stack some stacks. You know, <laughs> I should have asked. Because listen, um, these no. these ro these row children sweaters at six hundred bucks a pop ain't gonna buy themselves for my kids. No, they're not gonna buy themselves. I know you're buying a lot of kid, kitty row stuff. Yeah, dude, you have no idea. Like to twenty grand on the fucking platinum, they're gonna give me a black card after this charge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's Man, go. Wow, just spend stacks at the baby row store. Yeah, you have go. no idea, dude. Don't ever have kids, man. It's expensive in New York City. <laughs> um, see, I, I want to be back in my 30s. Never mind not having children, being able to roll from an international business trip where there wasn't a ton of sleep just because of the jet lag. Right back to New York, and you're right back at the grind on the nightlife tip. I'd love to see it. I just, I'm still exhausted, man. I, I don't have it in me. I get it. I'm tired too. And like the thought of like, you know, a few back to back long flights the next week and a half it's kind of also jarring to the brain uh, but yeah I have to get on a, this, this is our life now i get a, i get a car picking me up at 6 30 to go to beautiful newark uh newark new jersey to uh, hop on a plane mm -hmm. out to los angeles very excited Sounds to great. hang to hang friend of the pod born a samak a picture by him uh -huh. on the wall of a client's uh kind of uh, his condo in santa monica where he spends a little bit of his time mm -hmm. so that'll be fun Bornis a bunch told me Bornis told me that he is does not listen to our podcast so, yeah, so well, I'm certain he does not. Um, yeah. Does he even have an iPod or an iPhone? Who I, knows how, I'm not sure. I feel like Born is a flip phone kind of guy. Every time that we're texting, sometimes I think about what he's doing when we're texting, and I can't really picture what he's texting me on. You know? Yeah. It could yeah. be it could be some like gigantic old device. I have no idea. I mean, I feel like he's a blue bubble guy. I know I've texted him. I don't think he's a green bubble Android guy. Although yeah, that wouldn't, he's the blue ball, that's right. Although it wouldn't be off brand for him to like be on to, to, to be on the uh, uh, Samsung, right? Um. Anyway, how, uh, how many? Yeah. yeah. How Go. many green bubble guys you got left? How many left? I got one. I think uh, I got like three. I, I really just one, and I think he's sponsored by Samsung. I think he does some PR for them, and so I think he's right. contractually uh -huh. required. You know, I was a. Uh, uh, I, I at, at the dinner that we were at for Societe in Basel, um, and I'm blanking on his name, but the kind of the key director other than Daniel of Societe, uh, he was showing me his Samsung with those. I've never actually seen one in real life with the, the foldable screen. Um, still pretty dumb, wow. but you know. I mean, like, it's it's just like so stupid to have a Samsung phone. I'm sure they'd trick it out with like shit that like, there's gotta be some reason to have it, right? Mm -hmm. People are like, the camera's dope or something. I mean, like, like, there's like, it has to be like such an incredible camera. It has to be like, the greatest camera ever invented in the history of cameras for me to even consider getting one of those like like pieces of trash. So it's like 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a total, I, I, I'm a total apple. For, for me, it's just at my age with the with the, the fact that my brain is just full of plaque. Like I couldn't learn just how to like do things, how to cut and paste. Like I need to do it the way I, I have it. I've already ordered the new Apple phone, whatever it is, 14, 15, 13, whatever number on. It'll be here in about a month, in time for yeah, Miami, I, I think. Your your boy Josh Safty was uh, playing around with the uh, the the new video function on the new phone mm-hmm. and just filming his kid running around. And it looked like a fucking Spielberg movie, like like you know. Like the, that's the, that's the why shit. I got it. it. Like, that's it, why I got it for the kid for the yeah. kid videos, uh, and the art videos. Your kid cause... videos are gonna look like fucking Terry Mallet. Like so, like thank you, Apple. I guess I don't know. All right. You know, some kids have finstas where it's like all their weird thoughts. I just have a finsta where it's like kid videos and pictures because no one wants to see that in the main feed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, thanks technology. I guess I I don't know. But I think I, I think we're gonna get a chance to link and build together in Los Angeles because are you coming out as well the true. following day? I, we, I think we're gonna I see uh, Harper Levine, former guest of the Pods, new space, mm-hmm. opening up his his West Coast outpost uh, on Friday, I believe. I know. Yeah. Thanks for announcing to all of our LA listeners that will be there. If I didn't text you telling you I'm coming, it's because I'm literally being there for gonna be there for twenty hours. I'll be back Whatever. in like two months. I mean, yeah. they'll just find out who the real friends are. That's okay. It's going to happen organically. <laughs> hey, man, this is a business trip. This is Listen, a pod I mean, business trip. See, I'm used to doing this. I, you know, I, have, I have a ton of like old school like real friends in Los Angeles, and I come to LA, what, six times a year? Do I ever see any of them? No. Um, just the right. way it is, man. We're fucking, we're out. Yeah, so, no. you know, we don't have, no, no, we don't have time to coffee with everyone. We got jobs. You got writing but to do. I, I am looking forward to seeing the dash snow show at the new moran moran space as well as shows for sure, uh, for by, sure. by our <laughs> friends mark grichon and of course rasheed johnson um so i'm looking forward to that yeah the homies are in effect yeah uh the dash yeah. snow show curated by uh white cubes on matthew, matthew hags um who would actually be a pretty good guest on the pod just to, just about his music and dj career nothing about art um, nothing I about did, art yeah nothing about art you know we're just it about was, joy division yeah exactly you know it was it was blowing up our uh our our dork our, our dorky twitter feed the other day but uh there was a new yorker profile of uh german mm-hmm. painter uh neo rausch uh that mm-hmm. i highly i mean it's, it's an interesting thing they kind of set him up as like kind of like a um sort of the whole setup is that he's kind of like a, a, a traditional liberal versus kind of the new leftist in terms of his notion of what art is and his kind of like uh-huh. his seeming annoyance with what their version of cancel culture is. I was really yeah. taken by uh, in kind of it was going through sort of the history of his career and talking about how in the mid 1990s he was so popular with American collectors that they were jumping on their private planes from LaGuardia to Dusseldorf, where, where is he from? Uh, 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 Leipzig, Leipzig. Leipzig, excuse me. And listen, for those who know anything about general aviation, um, real hard <laughs> to catch a PJ from LaGuardia. Uh, really doesn't happen. You gotta go. You gotta go up a little bit north of the city. That is not to say that mm-hmm. it's impossible. Uh, I once did well, land. I, mean, I I have to admit, I once did land in a non-commercial plane at LaGuardia. It wasn't Donald Trump's plane, someone else's. But the only way to do it is to pay out the nose. Those landing fees are incredible. And then you have to have a NYPD escort comes to the plane and takes you off directly from the runway. There's no FBO. So anyway, the lauded and and much heralded New Yorker fact checking system, I feel like they broke down there. I think that they messed up. There's no way that these PJs were going from LaGuardia. Why would you do that? Definitely not. There's an airport for that. It's called Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to slip that in. I left that there for you. For the uninitiated, uh, the the Financial Times made a real fucking boner of an error, and they this is they still haven't fixed it. Where uh, 
you know, someone in the, the pink paper that is devoted to the 1% somehow misidentified uh, Teterboro Airport as Peterborough. Uh, Someone yeah. needs to fix that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they don't have that. I mean, that's a daily or a, f- a six day a week newspaper. It's different from the New Yorker, which is kind of known for the fact checking. Yeah, you know the only right. fi- you know the only physical newspaper that I get delivered every single day is the FT. FT, obviously, get to roll around New York on the subway yeah. with that pink paper. You know, you're someone important when, you get, when you're rocking that pink. Mm-hmm. Also, I will say, I mean, the weekend the weekend coverage is incredible. I mean, the arts. Oh yeah, it's I so mean, they're good. Ma- they're, what's their magazine called, Nate? Their their weekly uh, kind of fashion magazine. Uh, it's called How to Spend It. How to Spend It. Can you do better than that? Because no. I know, like, they could have gone with a euphemism or something, but it's like, no, it's just like, hey, rich people, you have money. This is how you spend it. <laughs> it's great. Exactly, exactly. You know, I uh, uh, out, elsewhere in the newspaper this past week, there was a nice little, kind of more than a blurb, like a little mini article, again, on Rashid Johnson. He shows up in the paper record in The Gray Lady every once in a while about his amazing mm-hmm. new tiled murals, which are gracing the home of the Metropolitan Opera in Lincoln Center. There are these two mm-hmm. massive murals, um, and it was all about kind of his process behind that. And it was very cool to go and see them in person, I have to say. I went yeah, uh, how was the opera? The how opera, was your night at the opera? The opera was incredible. I'm blanking on the name of the opera right now, but it was the opening night, first time in 18 months that the Metropolitan Opera was performing live in their home. Listen, talk about uh, talk about a night in New York. This was like, I mean, what a city, yeah. man. What a city. I was sitting next to famous film and theater directors. Uh, I had, you know, I, I saw Rashid across the way. Same names. Uh, I, I saw Don Lemon from CNN uh, uh, across Lemon, the way. I mean, all, I saw, all sorts of, uh, of of characters. Did you Lincoln build with the great uh, New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd, who I saw was there? Oh, I did. You know what? I'm I'm pretty keyed in. I'm I could have walked right past Maureen Dowd. I have no idea who it was, but it was you know it yeah, was you missed out. But it was like an incredible, incredible scene. It really felt like the city was truly, truly back. Uh, the name of the show is Fire. Uh, uh, is um, uh, Fire Shut Up in My Bones? It's the first ever production mm. by a uh, mm. black composer to debut at the Met, which is fucked up but incredible. Amazing. So the whole space had uh, had much more flavor than it usually would. An incredible opera, clocking in just under three hours. I was engaged the whole time. Maybe a highlight for me though. Stop and chat with. I wouldn't call him a friend of the pod, but erstwhile foil of the pod adam lindeman and his gorgeous and brilliant wife amalia were there we had an amazing stop and chat me my wife and them uh during the first intermission just for 10 minutes about his history with the opera he's been going for quite a number of years his mom is the chair of the board of the metropolitan opera which i guess that probably uh, is part of his that's not true he's a self-made guy i thought yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. listen after 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 i had such a nice time with him i've I've trouble holding back to (laughs) holding on to that but yeah and uh, but it was just super cool to see them and uh, and really just feel like a part of new york history uh get out there go see culture that isn't just art so that was a cool thing um what else? What else Fantastic. has been going on in the art world? I mean, I'm gearing. I got to say, professionally, like like London is tomorrow for all intents and purposes. Hitting up for those freeze previews, popping into my mm-hmm. inbox already, uh, and getting geared up for that. We'll do a yeah, full preview ch- next week, I think. But mm-hmm. it's a chill week in New York. I think that the only thing that I'm, is on my radar pre London is uh, Greater New York opens at Moment PS One next week. Um, I think that you know uh, it's. You know, it's a show that's only staged every five years. It's been six years since the last one because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to, to seeing that on Tuesday. It's always um, a shit show, but I wouldn't mind going out there just so we could eat at uh, at the restaurant. I know. Mina Stone is Mina's. the greatest. 
Uh, is her new cookbook out yet or is it it's still it's out coming? yeah we have a copy that's coming or you know what there's Sending it to the office. To go to the office. Yeah. I'm going to stop by. There's a great um, specialized great. cookbook I, I, store that I'll go and get that at on the Upper East Side. I forget what it's called. Mm-hmm. Killer store. But mm-hmm. yeah, and also, looking and forward to, to. Yeah. Go ahead. What else? Nothing. I was just going to say, you no, know. No, I'm no, no, I was just saying. What? Go. What are you looking forward to? Man? Tell saying, the people. <laughs> they want to know. Tell I'm us. I'm looking forward to going to Venus. I just said that. That's. I already said it. So what were you saying? Oh, a lot of buildup for nothing there, man. Um, I yeah, was going to say, as, as our guest, Alon Sarvalis, uh, is about to tell us, it's a great place to go and s- to, to hoover up some work by artists of these biennials and triennials and right. uh, museum exhibitions. And uh, we I were know. really... That's we- why I wanted to, I want someone to come with me to the press preview who could like feasibly buy them and just ask for all the prices. I'm not sure they'll tell me all the prices. Cool how that but, invite's like, not in my inbox, Nate. Um, well, the museum won't tell you. You have to read between the lines. You have to, you know, when it's courtesy of the gal- of the artist in the gallery, that means it's available, and you have to you have to dial up the right. gallery. Uh, that's how yeah. that game goes. But I, I shouldn't be giving yeah. away these trade secrets for free. But do stay hey, tuned. I know this stuff. Yeah, I know you do. You're you're fucking the leading journalist of the art market. Of course, you know this shit. Yeah. Um, but but mm-hmm. do stay tuned. We have, a, for, by our standards, a highly erudite and interesting and in depth conversation with a great collector, the Belgian Alain Servalis. Am I saying his name right? Alon Surveys. Surveys. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. I'm such a monolinguist. Right. Um, that's actually why I had you do the intro to the interview, which is coming up <laughs> right, right after now. this. Welcome back to Nona Bene. We are here with Alon Survey, the uh, world-class art collector based in Brussels, world traveler, attendee of many an art fair, and the liveliest online presence in the art world. Alon, thank you for having us. Interview. Thank you for inviting me. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Am, am I the first non-American on, on the pod? Or because Great question. Uh, I depends don't know. On, it depends on how you define that. We did have on Locke Kressler, though, born in America. <laughs> he has recently taken on UK uh, citizenship and is, is voting in, in the UK elections. Um, yeah, okay. He's an American, uh, though. <laughs> yeah, he's an American. So, yes, you, you're certainly our first continental guest, I would say. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting because um, I think um, the, the size of the compliments of Nate uh, was coming from the fact that nobody knows um, anyone outside of the U.S. So I'm, I don't deserve that much compliments, <laughs> but, but it's, it's probably easier to be, make it big to make sure not to miss anything. So Well, yeah, right. and I think you're, you're, you're good at, at, at taking up a lot of big space online because you are, I mean, I hate this phrase, but I mean, you use Twitter. It makes you something of a thought leader, certainly as far as collectors go. There are very few collectors out there, certainly not in America, but I don't think anywhere that are as forward with what they're thinking about how they go about collecting, about the art market, really about anything about politics. So I think that puts you, you know, that that does raise your profile in a certain way. I took the space uh, left over by Adam Lindemann, as you know, Benjamin. (laughs) Well, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't read. You know, I. I was actually. I noted this in in my research. I was reading an interview with you, and you mentioned his Twitter presence. I didn't know that he was a big Twitter guy, Nate. Did you realize? No, this? no, not, not Twitter, because we're coming from another time. But uh, you remember, yeah. he was he was writing that column very regularly in the Observer. Uh, yes, yes, was, of course. Oh, yeah. It was extremely uh, for me. It was a big um, insight. Yeah, it was. I, I remember when he he said that he was going to stop going to Art Basel Miami Beach, and then went to Art Basel Miami Beach. <laughs> 
that was the end of his of his things. You know, he realized that you, you get a lot of hits when you're when you're taking your opinion, and that's why I know I took over because was, I yeah, yeah go on. No, I mean the, the call was fabulous, and yeah, it, you are a continuation of that now. It's it's you know yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, um, you know, I, the problem is that um, I'm against the idea that the one shouting the loudest is the one that is heard the most. Um, mm. So I'm trying to take a, a space which is not easy, trying to highlight, in fact, because I, I wanted to know if I was the first non-American, because, yeah, I, I want to open a kind of a, another um, geography, another time as well, um, because... Mm. Um, I'm, I'm non-American, so I see the world in a different way. I was listening to your report on um, on Art Basel, and it's of course it's a lot about uh, the power from the purchases. Um, but I, I came in the art world uh, from investment banking because I wanted to have a space to think and um, you know to mm. to go further in the discovery of myself. That's what I say about collecting and my collection is that I don't care what will happen to my collection when I'm gone because. Uh, what art brought me is a life. Um, you know, it opened me a life. It, I, I remember, Nate, I, I remember we met for the first time in a bar in Munster, if I remember yep. well. Um, uh-huh. That's a great memory. Um, that, that's where, correct. Um, and Benjamin, you were uh, then working, you were one of the only specialists with some conversation at Philips. Um, and, you know, it's it's great memories. I went for the first time in, in, in Venice for uh, arts and otherwise never have been. I went to the first time to Dakar, to um, Seoul, to um, Hong Kong. And uh, no, Hong Kong, I went for business. So, so that's one of the things which I'm trying to still defend a little bit is that, you know, art is not only about money. It used to be a very different world because just want to give a bit of context because I'm much older than you and you too um, for, for the best or the worst, I don't know. Um, but I, I started looking at arts um, by accident. Uh, my, my background is no art in the family, no art in my curriculum, no art nowhere. I'm an investment banker. I studied my career at Drexel, Burnham, Lambert at the same time as um, Michael Milken and, uh, and Leon Black, by the way, uh, was uh-huh. already a brilliant guy. Um, in uh, 1987, um, I remember, and then, you know, I met an old pal that I was playing tennis with, who was named Christoph van der Weyck, who <laughs> was hired to play tennis with Frank Stella uh, by Gagosian because Gagosian liked to have um, those uh, foreign interns with a foreign accent. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like prehistory for you, but it's important to understand that um, I learned the art world and the theater of the art world um, from, in, in fact, I, I entered by the back door uh, very uh-huh. much. You know, I had lunch with Frank Stella. I was invited to Larry Gagosian's dinner at um, the Now Gallery and so on when I was not collecting because I was a friend of Christophe. Yeah. So I learned a lot. I met everyone at the time, um, you know, Tony Shafrazi. I was in the room when the first uh, $1 million Basquiat was sold with a scandal afterwards, if you remember, guys. Um, I mean, remember from the history books. Yes, I was, I was there uh, and the scandal afterwards. Um, you know, I admired, I was close to the, what for me are the most important dealers of contemporary arts um, ever. And I hope they're going to have uh, a chapters, you talk them in, in history books of contemporary art, which is uh, Philippe Segalo, 
Amy Capelazzo and uh, Dominic Levy, uh, who mm -hmm. invented, in fact, the auction house. And before that, there was no uh, new arts uh, at auction. So, um, you know, I, I, I was at the table for different birthday and I was looking around and I saw Larry Gagosian, uh, Stellan Holm, uh, Perry Rubinstein, uh, Dominic Levy, Stefania Bortolami. Everyone was around the same table. In fact, in fact, they're all talking to each other all the time. You know, being uh -huh. close to Christoph, I was realizing that, yes, Larry Gagosian is calling his salespeople 10 times a day to ask them, what did you do for me today? So <laughs> I saw the back things of arts very much before collecting, which is making very rare in some way. Um, so yeah. I never fell for the theater of it. Um, uh, and still today, I, I think I have pretty good insight. You know, I remember um, I was working with Emily Way. Uh, now Rails, uh, when she was at Perry Rubinstein. Um, mm. At the time, she was director. And she was amazing, uh, already extremely knowledgeable. It was a pleasure to work with. And I'm not surprised of the incredible collection she built at Glenstone um, uh, then. So I'm coming from that background. My second background is investment banking, is that I know how to make money and why to make money. And I, I decided from the beginning, I don't want to make money in arts, no circumstances, uh, because it's an area where I want, in a way, to discover, to understand, to to different things. And that, that's why it puts me at, at um, odds sometimes with different people. And, and sometimes, yes, I'm a little bit um, pushing back the fact that, um, yes, um, money, I saw it infecting the whole art world starting 2007, 2008, very badly. Um, and now, in fact, uh, collectors like me are very marginal. We kind of uh, either dinosaurs or pandas in a zoo. Um, very much, um, and that's it. But I mean, it, you say that I know you are an art first guy, um, but you also think about the value of things. I think that has to do perhaps with your professional training, uh, and so it's hard not to. But also, you're saying to me, well, yes, you you know, you kind of saw the machinations of the beginnings of the globalized art market before you really started looking at the art and collecting yourself. I mean, you were you were at these dinners and seeing you know uh -huh. seeing that Larry called someone like Christoph you know ten times a day to, for an update on each and every deal. Um, so I, I mean, I want to push back in that I, I know I often get get pegged as a market guy, but my my original background is as a curator and looking at the works. And I don't think, I don't think you can be in the world we're in. And while you might talk about money first, I don't think you would put up with all of the BS just for ten percent. And that the love of art and the love at at the the change that art can make in each of our subjectivities by living with it or even just experience it in a museum. I think even for the most kind of craven, not the most, but for most people in our in our world, even the most cravenly seeming market driven people, I mean, the love of art comes first. And I think that's why we can have great dinner party conversations because that's the starting point, even if oftentimes, you know, money can be an end point. Yes, you're right. Um, yes and no, because I really remember um, 25 years ago, no one talked about the value of art. Um, I must also mention that I, I had two mentors um, because, you know, in Belgium, we don't use, and in Europe, mostly we don't use a lot of uh, art advisors, so we use mentors. And my mentors were, were um, uh, Silvio Perlstein, who I hope you've seen collect the collection mm -hmm. that um, oh, yeah. I with, amazing collection. And Herman Dalet, who eventually sold this uh, conceptual art collection to the MoMA. Uh -huh. And they uh -huh. taught me art from a time that was 
it's very different. You know, I, I still love those those little things that we forget. Uh, you know, they were telling me, you know, why there's so much conceptual art in Belgium is that because every American artist that wanted to show in Belgium, the low cost airports for them to get in was Belgium, was Brussels. Huh, wow. And in fact, they were landing, all of them were landing in Brussels and they got they got my name from pals like um, like Solewit or, or, or other guys. And they said, oh, you know, if you want to crash in for the night, you can crash at their Mandalay or something like this. And eventually yeah. they left all those things. So, you know, it's coming from a time when this is the way it works. You know, I was asking Silvio Perstein. Um, Silvia, it's funny because you have a lot of drawing from Sol on paper and all of them are like September uh, 72. And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember um, there was a, a joint in, um, in Soho. We we're going there and he, he had no money, not at all. So he brought me home and he was, he was sleeping on a mezzanine bed and he spread out all those drawings. And he said, yeah, pick, pick them up. And that's why they are all the same date. So I'm coming from that area, and I still believe that if you go outside of the U.S., and uh, that's why I'm traveling more and more further and further away. I used to travel four or five times a year to the U.S. Now, I know I force myself to come once a year. Because I'll be honest, <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. Um, if there's one place on Earth where money completely um, aseptized art and and kind of reversed um, the, the, the discussion from, from artists to collectors, meaning that the collectors are deciding what is um, um, fashionable and to be bought or sold or something, and the, and the artists, in fact, produce what is necessary. It is the U.S. You know, I, I'm really afraid that um, there's a generation that will not be able to express itself. Fortunately, we have we discovered those African-Americans who were producing at a time when they thought nobody would ever notice. And some of them, particularly the old guys, Barclay and, and Drix, or, or, you know, the uh -huh. guys that they've been producing 20 years ago, not the one producing now for, again, but they're amazing. Um, but it's, uh, that's why I'm trying, you know, I, I decided a few years ago after having a, a panel in Los Angeles uh, with Simshovitz, um, and seeing the art in Los Angeles, I said, wow, I'm quitting. I'm canceling my Maurice uh, show trip. And I went to Mexico and I said, wow, you know, it's art with a purpose. So uh, that's why I'm recommending Jerry Salt and others to travel more. Um, because when you see only this kind of art at the end of the day, you know, your eyes and your brain gets infected. The I mean, same way when you're watching Fox News too much. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think it's interesting you bring up Los Angeles because I thought, up until maybe 10 years ago, Los Angeles and New York were different in that the market was so focused on the East Coast, the buying and selling, that it allowed American artists to develop better and over a longer time period before they started doing the thing you're referencing. They started to think about what the market wanted because they were a little bit further away. It was a, it was a city mostly made up of art schools and a lot of the, the great artists of the, of the kind of post-war period on the West Coast were still teaching in those schools and artists could develop for longer. I think that has changed perhaps in the past 10 years, even in Los Angeles, uh, that it's much more like New York and that young artists just out of school, just developing their practices are much more cognizant of, of galleries and, and showing and selling their work. Um, but I still think it's... From, I, from the West Coast, you, you origin, originated from the West Coast, Benjamin, or...? or no, no, I, I, live, I, I went to university there and lived there for a number of years, but just thinking about the, you know, the, the artists of, the American artists of my generation, uh, I'd say nine out of 10 of them that I'm most interested, was then certainly, and, and still am to a degree, 
are West Coast based or were West Coast based. Although I think in the last few years that's changed. You have the the, the emergence of mega galleries out there and, and much more of a strong market uh, that's based there. So yeah, it's changed. There were no galleries in Los Angeles, which made it an ideal place for artists at the time. But now, yes, like the commodification of, of the artists, just not just in Los Angeles, but in America in general. I, I mean, Alana, I agree with you. Um, especially agree with you on the fact that, you know, travel is essential, especially after these last 18 months when cities have really just, uh, you know, uh, gone inward and become more like themselves. And, and, and I think that travel is, is, is essential if possible. Yeah, you see, I've, I, I, I'm totally aware, coming from Wall Street, of the power of money. It's insane. Um, you know, it's very able to transform anything. But what I really like as well, and that's why you're mentioning my, my Twitter feed, but you know that, you know, over half of it is nothing to do with art. Right. And I think we, we learn a lot. For me, art, it's always the same story. It's, it's, it's the, the reality, the real world going into art. It's not the reverse. You know, I'm, I'm so, I, I always insisted on never being a professional of art. And despite the fact that I admire many of you and, and you're, you're, you're some of them, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's about realizing that there's something out there. And, and, you know, you see that power of money just also by noticing the differences. Uh, you know, in the US, you're low fracking, you're alone OGM, uh, you're alone uh, beef with uh, hormones and everything. You're, you're low gas flaring. I mean, you don't really care about the environment. Um, and today is in Europe, the, you know, in the... In, in large part of the world, even the Chinese now start paying attention, you know, it's just not all about money. And that's sometimes what I'm trying also to, and that's why I started that discussion in Basel, um, is that yeah, it's not all about money. And just because something is selling for 69 millions doesn't make it art uh, in many ways, like the, the people things that is already forgotten. I, I think you're, you're uh, for those that don't know, you're alluding to, a, a, I think you were quoted in Bloomberg as saying, uh, you were asked about the fair and saying, oh, it's nice, there's, there's and I'm paraphrasing here. Nets. now I'm here. Artnet, whatever it yeah. was, there, there's uh, you know there's there's less Americans here asking for the price from dealers so you can have more real conversations. And I would say fair enough. I think that's I'm certainly guilty of doing that, but especially at art fairs because for me, uh, art fairs are no longer, especially a mega fair like Basel, are no longer primarily a site of discovery. Um, it's very rare that I have that moment of a true art experience or or, or even a conversation with the gallerist where I learn that much more deeply about an artist practice that I don't know already. It is a trading room floor in many ways for good, for good or ill. So my only problem with that quote is that I think you're, you're completely right. Us Americans, especially those of us advisors, we're very quick to the, our first question to a dealer is what is it? How much is it? Is it available? Um, I, I, that's certainly, I'm certainly guilty of that, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily uh, off piste for what an art fair, especially the opening few hours of an art fair are meant to do. You are right, uh, Benjamin. And, you know, it, I was, Partly quoted, so you know I've yeah. got nothing. I mean, but... I had no, I had no problem with the quote. To be no, clear, no, no, like, no. It, you know. It's also, it's also a comment I'm hearing very often. I mean, because my comment was was broader, because I'm hearing a lot of um, non-American uh, galleries from, from South America or Europe saying, you know, it's not nice to uh, show art in in uh, Basel, Miami, despite the fact we're selling extremely well. Because we, we want to defend uh, the project. And I'll give you an example that I posted on, on my Twitter account because I was a bit shocked. 
you know, I've got great admiration for David Zwerner. And David Zwerner um, opened the show of Anders Ufsuta, um, first uh-huh. show in Paris. And yeah. I got the presentation from a young uh, sales um, executive, which is always shocking for me. The first time I got a business card with sales executive on it from the galleries, I was shocked, honestly, because, of course, I get it all the time from Wall Street. But I remember <laughs> the, the first day I got this. And you don't realize how... How, how paradoxical it is, but it is. So um, the whole email and 45 pages PDF was describing just the work in term in the following terms. One, it was issued from um, the series that was shown in uh, Venice Biennial. So that's the first thing of pedigree. It's coming from the Venice Biennial. And second, it was extremely um, difficult to produce because it was a mix of uh, hand-crafted um, strategy and 3D high-quality things. And it was very complex uh, um, sculptures, and there was not a word about, about what it is. About I can tell you that receiving, I don't know, uh, 4,000 uh, previews and PDF per year, uh, the only PDF I get with only images and prices are only from the United States. And still, I'm shocked because, I mean, how can you sell, I'm sorry, and I'm not talking about art fairs, I'm talking about PDF, uh, I'm selling previews, where you, and sometimes I say to artists, I mean, I'm sorry, you're giving 50% for those guys just to, to throw out uh, images and prices. I mean, <laughs> you should get a rebate for this. <laughs> so you have to be aware of that. Um, and that's why, you know, it's very nice of you to open up the mic to, to me and hopefully to other uh, non-American uh, is that, yeah, it, it's a different view about a few things. And we, we, we're good friends and we love Americans, as we say. I'm not so sure the world well, loves Americans so I, much. So I, I wanna, well, I, go I on, go they, on. Cert- they certainly don't, nor should they have for a long time, <laughs> perhaps. But I have to say, as, as an American, the thing that stood out about that same PDF that they sent, as all the galleries do in advance of their exhibitions, is it's an artist practice that I'm very familiar with and, and, uh, and uh, uh, part of his work I'm very familiar with and have acquired several pieces of. The, the price jump from a small, scrappy gallery that probably uh, self-funded the production of this series originally to being shown as Werner in Paris the 3x change in primary prices was what as an American as an advisor caught my attention and I think it's like beautiful work and it's it's earnest work that really kind of grapples with notions of the body and humanity and mechanical reproduction and 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 where digital falls within that but uh the 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 the, the 3x change in pricing when it moved from one gallery to the other which is what caught my American eye I have to say isn't isn't that basically standard though like for when you jump to a mega gallery uh, isn't isn't that just like you know two x three x? I don't know, and, I, and I'm not knocking it because I think they're actually he's one of the most uh, they excuse me she's one of the most e- exceptional sculptors I love working today. So, uh, so I didn't have a problem Absolutely. with it, but it's just like that's what that's what stood out to me, and uh, and I'll also admit that the more uh, as someone with an academic background uh, being in, you know uh, capable of academic writing and and fairly dense uh, theory reading my pet peeve is not so much the ones that just have the prices the ones that are so dense with text that is poorly written and actually makes it harder yes. for me to see the work and understand the work and actually makes it more obtuse as opposed to clear is equally as frustrating to to me I, sometimes i just want the you know the clear visual you know the the who what why where when sure and how and then the clear images you're totally right. I had the case in um, in OMR in Mexico. It was one of the star Pica or Pico, whatever his name is, of Rico, um, uh, the Rico guy. And 
I like the work, and I, when I read the thing, I was put so, so stupidly pretentious in the way of presenting. I said, no, I'm not going despite me liking the work. And you're right, uh, from that point of view, there must be the right balance. Um, but, you know, just to, to finish up, you know, to understand um, my, my viewpoint, which is only very often in, in life, it's only a question of viewpoint, you know, those arguments that we can have online uh, from people that know you or don't know you. It's, it's, it's mostly about understanding what the viewpoint is. You know, you, I, I'm sure that both of you saw the Andres Rosuta bus in that hotel fairs um, a few years ago in New York. Yeah, uh, it was unforgettable. That's the first time I saw that work. And this is what turned me on, is you know, to discover there and go for it before Benjamin Godzilla bought it and recommended it to his clients. And uh, Nate Freeman wrote that he had um, uh, a lunch sure. at uh, Barnaby or whatever your favorite uh, <laughs> joint in New York is. You know, that's, that's the thing. And yeah, that's yeah. what turns me on. Um, and, you know, art for me, and that's why I want to close out on, on the kind of other dimension of another time is that, you know, for me, art is like um, the red pill and the blue pill of the matrix or, or the cave. You know, it's about opening me to new dimension. I learned a lot about genders, about race, about religion, about science, about, um, you know, in my afklimt for me opened up something huge. And, you know, that's what art is for me. Um, and I, I, of course, I'm privileged in the sense that I don't need to make money out of art. And that's why I respect good professionals. Uh, but you know as well that right now it's completely insane. I know I was talking to a guy on the plane back, and which I didn't find really a, a big light of anything for many, many, many years. And then he tells me, oh, no, no, now I'm working with guys, a collector, one collector in somewhere, I don't know where, but we, we, we regularly doing deals in, in the six to seven figures. I said, what the hell? I mean, and sometimes you see guys uh, coming from finance that are, you know, giving trust and money, as you know. And for me, the most funny example was Rybolovlev. I mean, this guy has been fighting the Russian mafia and probably get out of his money, and then he gets ripped off by by a, a short guy from uh, from Switzerland. Uh, you know, yeah, because uh, mm -hmm. because he didn't speak the language and he got introduced by to him by um, by a Romanian woman. I mean, you know the story, which, which oh, yeah. I find still amazing. I, it still reminds me in finance. Um, there was a statistics which I love is that, you know, before choosing um, um, a financial advisor, normally it takes you something like on average 15 to 20 minutes. But to, for choosing a, um, uh, a dishwasher, people spend something like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 al and also like, like the financial advisors market, most people operate on uh, hire people that are financially incentivized to make money on top of them as opposed to playing paying a fat flat fee uh to, to get the best advice so you never know you know this is something a, a pet peeve i have with a lot of advisories that you know you never know you can never be a hundred percent certain that the clients meaning your interest and the advisor's interests are aligned if the if the advisor is making money on top of what you're spending you know, there's a certain um, in a d d disparity between, you know, who's, uh, you know, kind of who's gaining in that situation. And the same with financial advisors. I mean, you, should, you know, one would think you should never buy, uh, hire someone that's making money on the products they're selling you, but instead is making money directly from you. Sure. So that, that's why I'm fighting for in some way. You know, I, I love art. It's a beautiful thing. Honestly, I believe that humanity needs arts. And certainly today in such a polarized, incredibly polarized world, uh, 
I believe art can help us to build some bridges. So I'm really, and, and sometimes I see, I'm so sad in the way it's spoiling it. And that's why I'm in favor of some more regulation in order to not to disgust people. Because, you know, um, with Bolovlev, he, he washed out all this collection and fortunately made some money of that uh, Salvatore Mundi joke. Um, just, just by get, wanting to get rid of, he was so disgusted. And I, yeah. I know some people that when they've been ripped off, they're disgusted by arts. And that's a pity. And that's what I don't want to see. And that's why I'm, I'm always recommending to have contract with, with the art advisor being clear and the fiduciary responsibilities. And I, that's why I'm a pain in the ass from that point of view that I made my money by reading perspectives, you know, like uh, 200 pages perspectives and I'm enjoying it. So, you know, uh, I'm helping artists sometimes to read contract and commission contract and, and things like this. And that's, that's some contribution I can make as well. Well, I think you've advocated in the past for sort of an, an artist agency model, where as opposed to galleries, which don't, which much in the same way as just talking about with advisors and, and, and collectors, the, the gallery and the artist somehow aren't always aligned in terms of whose best interests are at play. And you've, I know, advocated in the past, I believe, for more of an agency, almost like a Hollywood-like model, where you have agents that are, are, are there to represent the artists in their, in the, you know, as an intermediary between them and the wider world. I'm very honored that you noticed that from across um, the ocean. Yes. Yeah. In fact, the idea is, is not, not uh, creating a, um, it's about, you know, any industry. I wrote an, that article that was art in the shadow of the art market industrialization. Nobody can doubt that the, um, the art market is becoming an industry. The big problem of, of uh, finding balance in the whole ecosystem is to find ways of, of building economies of scale. The economies of scale is the only thing that makes your, your screen so cheap, uh, you know, your Samsung screen or, or your Tesla uh, or whatever, or your, your iPhone so, so cheap, because in fact, I'm so amazed that with the higher we go in the iPhone, now they go down in price. <laughs> Can you believe they get better and better and they're cheaper and cheaper? The only way to do this is economies of scale. And what I observe um, is that there's no economies of scale in arts, meaning that every single gallery must offer the same services legal services, social services, uh, import, export services, uh, PR services, and uh, production services, and so on, which for the galleries makes it uneconomical or the service is bad to the artist. So I want to, there's a nice um, uh, talking galleries talk, and I will not start over this again, but I believe that it's not because I believe, I think that there is a tension between this. Yes, there is tension in the relationship between artists and galleries today, because there's a, a big discrepancy between the expectation of artists, and I, I was speaking to an artist on the West Coast again about this. Um, there's a big discrepancy, and what the galleries want today is build yourself a, an artist studio, and the artist studio will do all the job that I don't want to do for you in many ways. And all I want to do for you is sell arts. And this is not the Castelli model, if you remember. Um, so it's a big gap, a big change, and again, when I'm talking about industry, if you want to be, you know, if the art world wants to be about money and industry, you know, you've got to follow the way the, the mega galleries are doing it. And I'm, I'm blaming many mid-sized galleries, which I love, to be, you know, be a little bit more strategical and think more about the way you do business, because otherwise you're going to be crunched between uh, the mega galleries, the auction house, who are making an amazing job more and more. And, um, and uh artsy and uh, platform and other other yeah. things like this 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a. I think the auction houses have done an incredible job, especially in the last ten years, of making it much easier to be a buyer, to be a new buyer in the art market. Not yeah. just, not just, and not. I don't just mean they make it easy to to bid on something, but I mean they make the educational process, they make the, the, a certain degree of transparency available to you. Um, they they sometimes don't have the art historical knowledge, but their their knowledge of how to take care of people is on a whole different level from the education on forward. Um, we'll see if that kind of remains the case. I'm not sure if, if Draghi is going to be willing to, to invest the amount they will. And also just the technology. I mean, the ability to see all their history and mm -hmm. what they have available and what's coming up and, and then to bid on it is to me incredible. And the, the, the major galleries are, 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 are a competitor with them there uh, to a degree. But I think you're right. The, the mid-sized galleries aren't providing the services necessary to make them competitive. They don't have a, a differentiator beyond their artist roster that, that makes people want to do business with them. In fact, it's oftentimes harder to do business with these, with these galleries on just a practical level so i'm sorry it's i love to listen to your gossips and everything and fun yeah. funny so we're far from it now and that's why sometimes i'm i'm, I'm a pain in the ass no it's it's, 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 no, it's important like a good dinner party uh a uh, uh, co-conspirator someone else at the table you make the conversation you know meaningful and that you push back i mean there's nothing worse than a dinner party especially an art dinner party where everyone agrees it's so much more enjoyable oh when there's when there's a sticky wicket so to speak and people can have a you know an honest you know an honest and kind disagreement i mean it makes the hours pass better i think but I'm super happy to speak about art and great things that um, yeah. that I've seen. And, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, and I agree. I think that you know the focus on money is is a real bummer around. I mean, I, I was gotten a Twitter fight with a journalist recently because they they were a non-art journalist, but they were reporting on the Cristo wrapping of the Arc de Triomphe, and the, their headline kept being and their lead kept being about the cost of it. And whether whatever whatever the value that is huh. is a specific artistic uh, endeavor. I thought it was a disservice to the general public that aren't necessarily an art specific public, where the first thing they think of is how much it costs to do as opposed to the achievement of what had been done. Um, but I will say, I mean, and I'm someone that comes in from an ideas first standpoint, much like yourself, I, I, I got over this as I moved to the commercial world, but I used to have a huge problem with painting. I found it to be a regressive thing. I'm now surrounded by paintings and I love the act of painting, but I come from an ideas first. And I think the great part about art is it takes it has the ability to take highly, highly complex ideas that are very different from what you're used to seeing, perhaps very challenging ideas, but to aestheticize it and put it in an object where you can focus and can allow you a moment to contemplate. The problem is, is once you, you put all this power, all this intellectual and albeit spiritual power into an object, that object becomes an object of desire and desire to acquire it mm. inherently then creates, you know, something, you know, an object that can be, that can be uh, transported within a market space. Sometimes when I speak about art in those terms, I've got the impression of being as um, contradictory as talking about um, love when we uh, are watching, uh, binge watching uh, porn movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes I feel as awkward um, uh, doing that. And I, I respect money because I'm coming from there. But, you know, I don't know. I'm, hope, but also, I'm still I hoping... I mean, I, also just counterintuitively, a, a couple of people who think of the people that made the modern art market what it is today. I'm thinking of uh, someone like Brett Gorvey or Amy Capalazzo. They are also mm. the people, if you talk to them about a specific artwork, that have the most energy and the most love for the actual Absolutely. ideas and the artness of it. And I think, you know, for me, uh, while I agree with you, it can be too money-sided, I think you know, you can't have both sides. It's been fascinating to me. I mean, Amy Coppola, to talk to her mm. about a painting is like, it's a mind-blowing, you know, art art experience. Yet she changed the Absolutely. market, created the, you know, one could argue was one of the, the main progenitors of the contemporary marketplace for art, the high-end marketplace. I agree, Greg Corby but... spent, uh, yeah, he spent 10 to 15 minutes telling me about 
the one time he didn't buy a polka work on paper from Tony Myers booth at some random fair in the, in Chicago. Like, like, like that's all Brett's thinking about, even when he's selling art, like he has like an insane passion for it. And like, yeah, the best, you know, minds of the art market are the people who just, yeah, have an obsession with art and not, not money. I mean, obviously they think about money too, but it, the art has to come first. I mean, I, and, yeah. I, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to monopolize here, but I also would, you know, this is something I tell collectors, you know, if you're trying to start a collection, as an investment vehicle to make money, you're going to fail almost every sure. time. If you if you look at these big collections that get sold 50 years later, they started as absolute passion projects. People with an attuned eye and educated eye and either became educated over time and had a real love for artist practices. Those are the collections that end up actually having some financial worth, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years later. I think it's very hard to back up right. into that shit. Yeah, two quotes that time, because I love to use quotes because I'm, I'm not the smartest, but I love to pick up the smart words by others. And one was by Amy Capellazzo, and she said, you know, when she was asked, how do you value those top lots and so on? It's, she said, you know, very often it's not about the question of value. It's just the value of money for the people who can afford it. And that's why it's so frustrating to see you all um, gossiping and writing so much about those 100 million lots because they represent nothing you know there's nothing to do with yeah. art in many ways they have to do with the value of money and i was speaking to this i don't remember about even salvatore mundi some people were talking about the walton being able to buy it or there was some rumors about this and you know i said walton is something like 40 billion she's, she's stupid she makes five percent out of it so i mean even the salvatore mundi is like four month interest Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Four right. month interest. So are you, we don't care. I mean, it's that's one quote which I I love, and that's why I, I don't consider that the high end uh, market is representative of any arts. It's about something else. And I really I would love to be maybe in the position of those guys, but I'm not. And the second is um, Stefania Bortolami, who, who forgot that quote, but I, I found it in the newspaper. Is that she said, you know, the reason why I'm a gallerist is because. And it's a very hard work and very you know, unrewarding at, at, at that level of non, non-mega galleries is because I want to be part of writing art history. Yeah. And I really like that comments because that's what it is eventually. Uh, and when you're passionate about it, this is what it is. And again, I have the impression to speak to you about love watching porn in today's world because what I'm saying is very anachronistic. But this is what art is about in many ways. And that what uh-huh. art is about for me and when... When I see um, Kenny Schachter uh, pretending now to sell those super horrible crypto mats, which are even by OpenSea, not considered as art because they're considered as collectibles. <laughs> but, you know, his men were not bringing enough money anymore. So he's selling now T-shirts and crypto mats and pretending it's art just on the basis of his small reputation in arts. And that's why I'm fighting. That's why yeah. I, I don't like those kind of guys that are pretending that they are in the art world for art, and they're just ready to scrub the floor for any crumble falling on it. And um, that's why my big um, differences with I think like as, as Hunter S. Thompson called them in different contexts, the greed heads. You know, the, the you know the, the the greed heads that kind of eat any you know eat anything with soul. But I don't know. I, th- I think you know. I'm a bit romantic, and I think at the end of the day, like the side of light can win. Although recent human history, I guess, would 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 countervail that. Um, 
to lighten it up a little bit, uh, uh, to get, you know, just because I know that you are someone, I traveled a lot in the pre-times. You traveled four times as much as I did uh, in terms of the amount of fares, the amount of art that you saw, and really were on the ground. And something you touched on earlier, and, and in addition to the love of art, one of my favorite things about the art world at large is the places it has brought me outside of where I would yeah. usually travel or things that I would see. And I hate being a tourist, but art allows me to go places and experience different parts of the world and cultures in a way that feels somewhat more genuine than traditional tourism and talking to people what are the some of the places that you've missed in the past year not being able to go to or, or, or where are some of the places you've had the most interesting experiences art and otherwise that have been that you've been brought there because of art um of course um and you're totally right you're so right i mean really I, i'm serious i know today i'm traveling as much for the pleasure of discovering new cultures as discovering art um mm. and, but it's true that you're totally right that the fact of being driven by art because art is not a touristic place so you've always brought to side area i mean i love venice yep. because you know it's bringing you to palazzo where you would never go yeah. you know it's funny when you uh -huh. walk through venice there are kind of highways people are walking but they're highways you know from from uh, from uh, san marco to to um, to rialto i mean there's a highway <laughs> and you try yeah. to jump yeah. and if you go right there's no one it's so funny yeah. but it's, it's <laughs> everywhere in the world is the same uh the same in new york you know when i i, I went to um to to um to Brooklyn for the first time for visiting clearing at the time was lost in the middle of, of things and of course um, I, and I, I remember that Polish neighborhood where Pierogi was at the time and brought me there for mm -hmm. the first time I mean this, yeah. is, this is what is about and I'm I'm the more recognized you know even if the art is bad the experience is amazing so yeah you, you it's a win-win situation and I, so the places I'm I'm missing it's we cannot go to Asia and at the moment at all for the last 18 months, which allows us to go around Europe. I, I've been traveling in the last year almost every every two weeks or three weeks still. So in, in Europe, Mexico is still available, which which yep. is amazing. It's one of my it's my favorite country in the world. So I'm super happy it's still open. I've been missing to not to go to to the states to be honest, contrary to what I said. Because, yes, I've got many good friends. My best friend um, is Sandy Rohrer and living in New York, and I'm, I'm missing him. Mm. So um, uh, I go to New York as soon as we open and go this year in November good. or something. I want to see the, mm. the biennial because, you know, in, in the whole art ecosystem, my, my favorite places to see art and even to buy arts is our museums and, um, and biennials. You know, people yeah. are shocked sometimes when I say that, but I remember 15 years ago, I was visiting the um, uh, surrealist exhibition at the Met, and I saw a beautiful uh, Hans Bellmer photography, and it was uh, written on the wall text, Putzi um, Timothy Baum. And I called Timothy Baum because I knew him, he was next door to Christoph. Um, and um, I said, Timothy, how much is it? $10,000. Okay, I love it. I buy it. And the work went from the Met to my place with the sticker of the Met still on it. Okay. <laughs> This is, I mean, I keep reminding people, you know, look, and rather than going stupidly in art fairs and getting the second um, or the third quality um, of the works of the artist, because normally artists would keep the best for the museums. Go to MoMA PS1 or go to the new museums and the works are sometimes available, even if some, some know this trick now, Benjamin knows it. So, you know, he's, he's quick on the ball for this, but this is the best place to buy. So I, I go to 
to the um, to the Whitney Biennial and the New Museum and the, the MoMA PS1 uh, Greater New York. I'm looking forward to it. So I'll be back to the States um, happily. I will not go out of New York because honestly, it starts smelling bad there down there in the south. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I don't want to miss. And I, I said to myself that if I ever, and I would ask Americans I meet there, if they are Trump supporters, and I would turn my back um, to them if they, are, if they <laughs> have the... If they're there telling me so, so I'm sorry uh, in advance, but um, I cannot. No apologies, well, necessary. Yeah, you, you, we won't go down there <laughs> with you, but I look forward to buying you a cup of coffee at some point in November when you're back in the States, although I feel like we'll probably bump into you in London maybe in a couple of weeks before then. I'm sure. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was incredible. Oh, thank this you is so much. Certainly the, the, the most you. erudite uh, conversation we've had. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. All right.